Good morning. Welcome. I come to you in the name of Jesus this morning. It's been a real blessing being here and worshiping with you and singing. I, I just get inspired by all your folks' singing and uh, about as soon listen as join in. So this morning, I do need to make a clarification to the sermon last night, and um, sometimes I know what I want to say and it doesn't come out right, but I was speaking in the presence of school teachers, and I have extremely high respect for school teachers and you school teachers here, and then I, and I just want to qualify what I said about education and, and the uh, concern that I have for education. So here it is. The Chaldean or the Chaldean education is what I'm concerned about. The world's education. And you school teachers are instilling convictions and teachings into students. That is the Judean education. And that is what the Hebrews stood upon, okay? I just want to clarify that, that when I say I was concerned, have a concern for much learning and much education... The education that challenges the Judean education. You teachers, I bless you. Take, take these op, this great opportunity to instill those very teachings and convictions on the students as you have opportunity. And Lord bless you real good. So this morning I had said I want to speak to parents and I did recognize that there was a few parents here already this week. And so there's a potential that when we speak to parents and we speak about the home and we speak about children, there's the potential to make, make us feel like failures. And I am fully aware of that tonight or this morning, that we can feel like failures if you come away from hearing a sermon on the home. So I contemplated that. But we really need to preach sermons on the home and we need to teach about the home to give our young parents something to aim at, something to strive for. This morning, parents, this is to strive for. This is to be aware. This is what we want. All right? We don't always, as parents, achieve what we would have wanted to and what our desire was. But I want to give us something to aim at and to point at with our godly homes. And if you feel like you have failed in areas, rise up. That is, that, that is an area then where we focus on, we take intentional effort in the areas where we feel like we failed. Do not feel like a failure. If God has placed children into your home, he has seen it as a, uh, a blessing and that you have the responsibility and the potential to raise children. All right, turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 16. I want to see if there's anything here about a home, anything here about children, um, anything here about the heart. I wonder how this applies to us this morning. In 2 Samuel there where he's going to anoint and he has anointed David, but the same two verses... Verse 6, And it came to pass, when they were come, that he looked on Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before, me, before him. 
But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For the Lord looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. <clears throat> Excuse me. All right. This morning, it says here that the Lord looketh on the heart, but man looketh on the outward appearance. Mommies and daddies. Are you more concerned about your child's outward appearance than what you are with the heart? And I wonder if sometimes we get that all wrong. Now, I notice a lot of children here, and they come here, and they're so cute, and they're so beautiful, and they're so innocent. And that is my observation. But I notice that they don't look the same when they go home as when they arrived. It doesn't take them long to not really care how mom dolled me up this morning. It doesn't take them very long that they're not really concerned about the outward appearance of themselves. Because there's something more important. It's the heart. So sometimes I wonder if we get our focus wrong. And so we want to talk about that this morning. We want to talk about the hearts. We want to talk about the hearts of our children. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 23. Solomon has something to say about this. And I had to wonder if Solomon wrote this, did he actually make this observation in his parents' home? Did he make this observation in his experience? I almost wonder if he didn't have this experience, and so this is what his desire is for his home. This is what I want our desire for our homes this morning, right here in Proverbs chapter 23. In here lies the title for the sermon. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 26. My son, give me thine heart, and let thine eyes observe my ways. The title this morning is My Son, Give Me Thine Heart. And I wonder if us parents here today truly understand the dynamics of having our hearts, our child's heart. And that is the honor and the respect and the trust of our children. And it does not take long to make an observation when a child has not given their honor, trust, and respect to their parents. And parents, that is going to have to be earned. I can picture in my mind scenarios where I see mommies and daddies walking what should be as a family, whether it's from the parking lot to the church or whether it's from the parking lot to the store. And you have Johnny trailing behind by about 30 feet, his eyes on his shoes, and nobody even cares because he has no desire to be associated with that thing we call family. That's just a simple illustration. Our children, the countenance of our children do not lie. You can, you, you can look at a child and their eyes tell us a story. 
We need to be observant to that. So we need to have the hearts of our children. And Solomon's desire here was to have the hearts of his sons and his children. But I don't know if he ever had given his heart to his parents and to his father. So tonight, the que- or this morning, the question that we ask ourselves sometimes, and maybe we just ponder it to ourselves, but why is there rebellious children coming out of Christian homes? Do we have an answer for that? Probably not. But it could have a bearing on what we look at this morning as to why there are rebellious children coming out of Christian homes. And when I talk about children, it's the little ones and it's the youth. It's the children still in our care. And it's interesting that many times we see the behavior problems in other children before we can see it in our own, in our own children. But we want to examine our homes and our lives. So I quote a, a dear brother back home, uh, a pastor mentor that I really look up to. Uh, brother Paul Weaver quoted this, The one who has the heart controls the life. And that is why it's so imperative that we have our children's hearts and we have the possibility and the ability to control our children and to point them, and to direct them. Otherwise, it's a child out of control. If we don't control the child, the child will be out of control. So he who has the heart controls a life. So can you say this with uh, Solomon this morning, daddies? Daddies here today. Let thine eyes observe my ways. Would it be safe? For you to tell your sons to follow in my steps, it is a safe way to go. Or if they chose to follow in your steps, would it lead them into a place or would it lead them in a direction of destruction? I wonder. Can we with confidence tell our sons to follow our ways? Do as I do. This is the safe way to go. We're going to look at um, a journey with David this morning and one of his sons. That's what we want to look at. But before we get to that, you could be asking a question, and I don't know, maybe I'm just making up the question, why must I have my child's heart? Isaiah chapter 40, if you want to start turning to that. Now, that, that's, that's a good question. That's, that's an honest question. Maybe you're here and you only have wee little ones, little toddlers, and you never even considered the fact that we need to have the hearts of that child. Or maybe you have teenagers here and you wonder why they haven't given you their heart, their, your, their, their respect, and their trust. But I find something here to answer the question of why must I have my child's heart? You know, God does not do for us what he intends for us to do. God does not do for us what he intends for us to do for for ourselves. So what I'm saying is, God gives us children to raise. He intends us to raise the children. Otherwise, he would have given us adults. How would it be, parents, to receive a 16-year-old every two years so that your family grows? 
No, He intended parents to raise children. He gives you an infant, and He gives you instruction on how to raise those infants. So that's where it begins. So why must I have my child's heart? Let's look here in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3 and 4. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, every nation and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. God desires a highway into the hearts of our children, parents, and we must prepare a way for the Lord. We must prepare their hearts. God desires a highway into their hearts so that when He comes, they're going to know, they're going to recognize, they're going to see their need, they're going to know who's knocking at their heart because God requires a highway to their heart. And He puts it into your lap and your responsibility to prepare a way that God can come to their hearts and enter their hearts and knock on their hearts. That's a tremendous responsibility to prepare a way for God Almighty. But that's His desire, and He has placed it in our hands. He places it in our hands. Parents, tonight, or this morning, we will never hear that we will never have our child's hearts if they never hear us say, I'm sorry. And um, that is a challenge. That's a challenge for me. It's a weakness to say, I am sorry and I was wrong. But that rebuilds trust. If you haven't noticed, I'm used to saying tonight because we've been here all week. All right, let's go on into, into our, our, the scriptures here. Lessons from David and Absalom. Turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 14. We're going to walk a little bit with David, or Absalom. So it is 2 Samuel chapter 14. And I want to see... I want to see if David ever had the hearts of his sons. You know, we talked about him being the king, and through, through his lineage, the Messiah came. But, but he had some difficulties in life. It was some consequences in his life. So here in 1 Sam, 2 Samuel 14, we have an introduction to Absalom somewhat. Now Joab, the son of Zariah, perceived that the king's heart was towards Absalom. Now this is what I want to look at. Absalom had just done something pretty bad. He had killed his brother, which was a bad thing to do, and the king was not very happy with him. And Absalom saw that he had better do something, so he runs and he hides. And so he's not in the presence of David. And this verse says, Now Joab, which is the captain of the army, the son of Zariah, perceived that the king's heart was towards Absalom. He saw that now there was a a probability that David would accept Absalom. Here is the intention. David had an intention. The intention. 
to have Absalom's heart. And so Absalom, uh, Joab makes this observation. Now I said Absalom had run and hid. And I don't know if you ever knew this or not, but in verse 37 of the previous chapter, it says Absalom fled and went to Talmai. That individual is Grandpa. So he went to hide with Grandpa. And it's uh, the king of Gersher. And then it says there that David mourned for his son. So he was mourning for Ammon. Verse 38, so Absalom fled and went to Gersher and was there three years. And the soul of King David longed to go forth unto Absalom, for he was comforted concerning Ammon, seeing that he was dead. So now, now David is comforted again, and he longs to, to uh, connect, maybe you would say, with Absalom. What I want us to see here, three years without seeing dad. Three years without dad in his life whatsoever. Absalom is having a yearning to be in the presence of his father and have a relationship with his father. Even if Absalom was bad and naughty, he had a desire to have a relationship with his father, not the king. He wants to see his father. We read it and we see it that it's King David and King David, and they come to the king. To, it's simply his father. Absalom desires to have a relationship with his father that is non-existent. It is severed. It's three years and they haven't even seen each other. That's where we're at here. And Joab is the intermediator or the mediator here, and he's trying to get Absalom and, and, and David back together. That's, that's what Joab's responsibility is here. Now let's go jump down to verse 21. I want you to keep in mind, not seeing each other, um, the son wanting a relationship with dad. Let's see how dad responds here, daddies. Verse 21. And so the king said unto Joab, Behold, I have done this thing. Go therefore and bring the young man Absalom again. There's the invitation. Go bring Absalom again. And Joab fell on the ground on his face and bowed his head and thanked the king. And Joab said, Today thy servant knoweth that I have found grace in thy sight, my lord, O king, and that the king hath fulfilled the request of his servants. So now Joab is just jumping for joy. He's so excited. He gets to go bring Absalom home. He gets to bring him back to the king. Verse 23, so Joab arose and went to Gersher, and he did what? He brought Absalom to Jerusalem. Now this is an extremely sad verse here in verse 24, daddies. And the king, this is dad. Let's read it that way. And dad said, let him turn to his own house, and let him not see my face. So Absalom returned to his own house, and he saw not daddy's face. After three years, and he gets the invitation, and Joab brings him into the presence or into the city. They're this close. And David changes his mind. He's too busy, doesn't have time, and he says, Send Absalom to his own home. And Absalom did not get to see daddy's face, he saw not the king's face. 
he did not get to see daddy. He did not get to, to renew a relationship with his dad. It is still non-existent. Three years. So close. Do you think David has the heart of Absalom? Absolutely not. And when we don't have the hearts of our children, they do the most outrageous things. They do. They do the most outrageous things when we don't have the hearts of our children. Now we want to keep reading so that, so that we know now that Absalom did not get to see the king. And he is yearning. Verse 25, but in all Israel there was none so much to be praised as Absalom for his beauty. Outward appearance here. It really didn't matter how beautiful Absalom was. David didn't see him. And the sole, from the sole of his foot even to the crown of his head there was no blemish in him. And when he pulled his head, for it was at every year's end that he pulled it, because the hair was heavy on him, therefore he pulled it. He weighed the hair of his head at 200 shekels after the king's weight. Stop there just a little bit. Can you imagine a young man who doesn't have a relationship with his dad, and he would like to see his dad, and uh, he's handsome, he's got gorgeous hair. I don't know what that all looks like on a fella. But he would wait, and he would cut it every year. Why did he do that? So he could weigh it. So people would talk about it. So he really had something to prove. Absalom is screaming for attention. Look, look at my hair this year. Okay, just thought I'd bring that out there. And, as, and unto Absalom was born three sons and one daughter, whose name was Tamar, and she was a woman of a beautiful countenance. So Absalom, now listen, so Absalom dwelt two years in Absalom, in Jerusalem, and saw not the king's face. Five years. No dad. Can't even get into the palace. Can't even see dad. Five years. What do young people do? What do children do when they don't see dad for five years? What do children do when dad doesn't have a relationship with their sons and their daughters for five years? It starts to get out of hand. And I don't think we can just blame Absalom here. So what do they do after five years when they don't see dad? They do some things here. Therefore, Absalom sent for Joab, and what he wanted was Joab to get him into the king, to have him sent to the king, but he would not come to him. And when he sent again the second time, he would not come. Therefore he said unto his servants, See, Job's field is near mine, and he has barley there. Go and set it on fire. Oh, And Absalom's servants set the field on fire. Then Joab came, then Joab arose and came to Absalom unto his house and said unto him, Wherefore have thy servants set my field on fire? And Absalom answered Job, Behold, I send unto thee, saying, Come hither, that I may see the king, that I may send thee to the king, to say, Wherefore am I come from Gersher? It had been good for me to have been there still. Now therefore let me see the king's face, and if there be any iniquity in me, let him kill me. So Joab came to the king and told him, and when he was called, he called for Absalom, he came to the king and bowed himself on his face to the ground before the king, and the king kissed him. 
I said the children do the most outrageous things when the, you don't have, the parents don't have their hearts, when the parents don't have a relationship with them. Here, in this case, it's dad. And we can hear Absalom's heart cry as we read that, I want to see the king, and I'm going to do whatever it takes to get his attention, to get dad's attention. So parents here tonight, if you have normal children, and you're not giving them the attention they need, they start setting barley fields on fire in a whole host of manner, whether it's standing on their head or tearing out pages out of the book or screaming at the top of their lungs or whatever it is, they're saying, look at me, Dad. I just want to see you. I just want a moment with you, Dad. And they're burning barley fields down. And Mom and Dad are going, why are you doing that? So he got Joab's attention. Joab comes and says, why are you doing that? So who's, who's, who's really at fault here? Now, I understand Absalom's probably older than most of the children here, but it's a good illustration of when a parent doesn't have a relationship with their child, how badly the child really wants that relationship. So we need the hearts of our children. And by the time we get to the end of the message, I want to give some application and principles on that. So Absalom had a desire to see the king's face. And we finally came to the verse that Joab went to the king. And I don't know why Joab had to be the mediator. I mean, this was, this was father and son. But Joab went and got him in to the presence of the king. And when he called for Absalom, he came. After five years, remember, he bowed himself. So he respected his dad yet the king. He bowed himself to the king and the king kissed Absalom. I want us to think about that a little bit. Because David kissed Absalom, did he have his heart? Is that all it took? After five years, gave him a hug, gave him a kiss on the cheek, all over. Now, now he has his heart, right? Just like that. You know, mommies and daddies, we do kiss our children. We do pick them up. We do hold them. And they, they need to feel that. But that it, it, they, they would rather have your attention. They would rather give you their hearts and their, they would rather have your heart than just that display of affection. I looked at this, and I come to the observation that David didn't know really what to do and how to help himself, that this was just kind of a cover-up. I don't know David's heart. I don't know the conversation. But I can see here that there was no, I am sorry. I don't find that here. So we want to move on. So what we're, where we're at here is after five years, Absalom finally saw the king, and he got a kiss from his father, but David still does not have David's heart. There's more involved in having the hearts of our children. So let's go to 2 Samuel 15. I guess we're there, aren't we? David lost Absalom's heart for good. Do you hear that? David lost Absalom's heart, and I think Absalom gave up trying. And it came to pass after this that Absalom prepared him chariots, and horses, and 50 men to run before him. 
And Absalom rose up early and stood by the way of the gate. And it was so, and any man had a controversy, came to the king for judgment. Then Absalom called unto him and said, Of what city art thou? And he said, Thy servant is one of the tribes of Israel. And Absalom said unto him, See, thy matters are good and right. There's no man deputed of the king to hear thee. Absalom said, Moreover, Oh, that I were made judge in the land, that every man which had any suit or cause might come to me, and I would do him justice. And it was so, that when any man came nigh to him to do him obeisance, he put forth his hand, and he took him, and he kissed him. And on this manner did Absalom to all Israel that came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel." Can you just see Absalom here screaming and crying for attention? Absalom at this point took life into his own hands. So when he left the presence of the king, he had an agenda. He's going to earn the respect in the hearts of the people. And it says that he stole them. You notice that vocabulary? He stole the hearts of the people. Mommies and daddies, if we don't have the hearts of our children, they will give it to another. They will give their hearts to somebody or something. And it's imperative that we have their hearts at little on up because they will give it to somebody or something. So Absalom couldn't get the heart of his father or respect or a relationship with his father. So he went the next step to the people. And it says he stole their hearts. And he gave, they, they gave him attention. They gave him the attention. We must have the hearts of our children. There's two things. No, I jumped ahead there. Hang on. So in 2 Samuel chapter 18, we're moving on. Absalom has an agenda. And I would like to see something very interesting, that Absalom is just so common and so normal, representing a child left to himself, representing a child who has not given their heart to their parents. Now this might look different for every one of you here this morning. Hear me out. In 2 Samuel chapter 18, so some things happened and Absalom found himself hanging in a tree one day with his, that big woolly hair that he liked to cut off. He should have got a haircut before he went to battle, just saying. Anyhow, he found himself hanging there, and somebody was mean enough to shoot arrows through him. And he's gone, right? End of Absalom. Well, that's not the story this morning. Verse 18, 2 Samuel 18, 18. This is just so Absalom... Now Absalom in his lifetime had taken and reared up for himself a pillar, which is in the king's dale. And he said, I have no son to keep my name in remembrance. And he called the pillar after his own name. And it is called unto this day Absalom's place. Do you hear the cry for attention? So while he was yet living, he went and reared himself up a monument, and he called it by his own name so that somebody could remember him, so that somebody might respect him. There's two things, parents. There's two things that every child must experience and discover in their homes and in their families. Number one is security. 
Every child must feel secure in their home and in the presence of their parents. If at any time that security is breached, they will shell up and you will have lost their heart. So they do need security, and that starts from little people. They need to feel secure. The other thing that every child must experience in their home in order to develop, in order to have a relationship with parents and to give their heart to their parents, the other thing is self-worth. Security and self-worth must be found in our homes, must be found in our families. Your children must know that they are extremely valuable. What does that entail? Fathers. Yeah, we're men. We're grown men. And if you have daughters in your home, it's a blessing. But if you have daughters in your home, do you ever tell your daughters, daughter, you look beautiful today? Now think about that. A daughter who hears their father affirm them and commend them that they are beautiful today Daddies, they don't have to go look for it somewhere else. They don't have to go to tall, dark, and handsome and give him their heart because he told them they're pretty today. So when daddy says they're beautiful, it makes them walk a little taller and it makes them feel confident that daddy cares. And if I'm beautiful to daddy, nothing else really matters. It doesn't really matter what you think of me because daddy said I'm beautiful. Oh, for the daughters who don't hear that from daddy. What about sons? Sons need to be affirmed too. So we have sons in the home who have never been commended, that have never been told that they're good at something. They're going to go to where somebody commends them. And I don't know just who it will be, but the one that tells them they're good at something, the one that tells them that they're tough, the ones that tell them you can do it are the ones that are going to take their heart. So tonight, today, mommies, you need to look at your sons as they're growing up. They're bigger than you. They're stronger than you. And you absolutely couldn't do it without their help. If you wouldn't be here to help me, I don't know what I would do. Son, I, you're, just, you're just really getting strong here today. You really proved yourself today, son. Daddies, you tell your sons, I couldn't have done it that well. Self-worth and acceptance. Verse 33. Let's move on. I said the king has lost, or daddy has lost Absalom's heart for good, and the king was much moved. And he went up to the chamber over the gate, and he wept as he went, and he said, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would God that I had died for thee, O oh, Absalom, my son, my son. It was too late! Absalom couldn't hear that. There comes a point where it might be too late. We don't want to wait that long, parents. David waited too long. It's a sad story. I imagine this is a scar in David's life. And he wept, and he wept bitterly. And I am convinced he was sorrowful. I'm convinced he was sorry. I'm convinced God heard his cry. But it was too late for Absalom, and he died a rebel. He died a rebel right out of the king's palace, right out of the king's home, one of his very own. 
So today we need to rise above our failures. David was a godly man. He was a king. He was a man after God's own heart. This was an instance where he did not have the hearts of one of his boys. Can we say to our children, observe our ways, observe my ways. This is the way that we want to go. So that is the account of Absalom. That is the the sad end of Absalom. He never had a relationship with his father. You know, it began as three years and it went to five years, and I don't know the time frame. I didn't take time to figure it out what it was until it was too late. Let's not wait to see how long we can push it off. So this morning, I want to give us something to look for in our homes. The first is five ways to know that you have the heart of your children. We want to be um, assured this morning that we have the hearts of our children. We want that confirmation. We want that assurance. Here's some ways, and I don't know that it has to be that all of these are found, but if you can find that you have some of these presents in your children's relationship, you and your children's relationship, that you can feel good that I have my heart's child, my child's heart. So number one, you know you have the heart of your child if they trust in you to confide in you. Now, little children might not do that as much, but it will be evident. Heart-to-heart talks, communication. Does your child like to have heart-to-heart talks? I have a picture in my mind from Idaho, and it had to be, oh, it had to be over 30 years ago. And it was at church, and there was a, there was a father there with a little girl like some of these here, I don't oh, let's say three or four years old. And I still have that picture in my mind, and he sat there in front of her and looked her in the eye and was having an adult conversation. It was just a beautiful thing. He was giving her the time and attention she wanted right then, and she was just, they were just, oh, it was so nice. Communication. Do you know the interests and struggles of your child? Would your child ever dare to come to you and say, Dad, I have a problem. Mom, can you help me with this? There's a sign there that you have their hearts because they trust in you to help them, to direct them, to lead them. If they don't trust in you, they're going to go to somebody else and say, I need help. So if you have that relationship with your children, that's a beautiful sign that you have your child's heart, and they're going to trust you, and they're going to tell you hard things in life, but they might not tell you everything. I don't know if any children do, but they have heart-to-heart talks. Number two, you know you have the hearts of your children if they love to spend time at home with family, and I don't know. But it seems to me that there's, there's some youth, it seems to me that there's some children that would just about as prefer to be somewhere else as at home. And I just think it's a beautiful sign and confirmation that when our children want to be at home, in home, in our presence, in the presence of their parents, having family time, having a relationship, however that looks in your home, we're all different. But when your, your young people think that 
they can't be at home for longer than 30 minutes or we might get into a conversation with our parents. They've always got some place to go and something to do because if they don't, there's a potential to have dialogue with mom and dad. So if they enjoy being at home, if you discover that your children are just okay sitting around at home in this nice, warm atmosphere, you might say, I don't know how to paint the picture any better. You can have family devotions because we're all there. Where mealtime is more than just eating. And I think down here in these parts, that's a big thing. Mealtime is more than just eating. And that you build relationships around the table. Here's where I want to say this. Absence of structure, absence of structure creates chaos. Your homes need structure. Talk about children wanting to be at home, spend time at home. Your homes need structure. Children need to know what to expect in their home. It's a security thing. They know when they get up that you eat breakfast. And they know that before they get supper, they've got to do their chores. They know that they eat breakfast, lunch, and supper. And we're not eating halfway in between those day after day, causing confusion because they don't know when mealtime is. They eat whenever they're hungry, and the chaos continues. Structure. When we go to bed, we go to bed. When this certain time comes at night, we go to bed. Parents don't go to bed and let little Johnny decide he's going to go to bed whenever he well pleases, and you don't even find out when Johnny goes to bed. There needs to be structure. Little Johnny would really, inside him, would really want you to put him to bed. Something secure, something structured. We don't keep our children guessing. That causes confusion. Now, structure is going to look different for each and every one of us here, but as long as there's understood structure. And then we hold our children to that. They like that. Number three, you know you have your child's heart. If your convictions are embraced and upheld even when, they're not, when you're not present, going back to last night, the Hebrew boys were not in the presence of their parents. So, so parents, if you can trust your children to go, yeah, go to Bible school, um, go on weekend trips, Um, go away with friends, and you don't have to worry about the activities they're going to be involved in. They uphold the convictions when you're not even present. That means you instilled it into them, and they are honoring you. They're respecting you. And it's this thing that when they have opportunity to take a little sip and to take a little smoke, they say, I won't. They know that. Mom and dad would be horrified if they found out I went in that store, if I looked at that picture. So when your convictions are upheld, when you're not even present, is another indication. That's good. That means you're making progress. That's what we want. Another one, number four, to know if you have your child's heart. I don't know how to word this. If there's peace at home, if... if Apologies are made and forgiveness granted. And that means that you know you have the heart of your child if they come to you and say, Dad, Mom, I messed up. 
and mom and dad stay cool, calm, and collected. There's no explosion. There's no reaction. There's a solidness there, and apologies are made. I'm sorry. This is what I did. That is a beautiful picture that you have the heart of your child when they come to you and say, I'm sorry, but I messed up again. That's what we want. That's what we want to work towards. That's what we want to teach. That's what we want to train. The last one, you know how you have the heart of your child. If they're not ashamed to be seen in your presence, it might seem off the wall, but that is so special to me. That if my children are not ashamed to be my children, if they're not ashamed to be in my presence, it says something to me, and it might not even minister to you, but it says something to me when my children can tell their peers, that's my mom and that's my dad, and they're just okay with it. That speaks to me. That tells me we have the hearts of our children because they're identifying with us. That's so, so nice. That's great. And I don't think that there's going to be children that are going to say, that's my mom and that's my dad who never had a relationship with them. They're not going to care that that's my mom and that's my dad. If there's a vacancy of, uh, of relationship, strained or severed. So that's what I'm trying to illustrate here by if they're not ashamed to be seen with you. They enjoy being in your presence. I just remember my high school years. That's kind of what brought that on. My high school years was in public school, and when you had parent-teacher conference, it was the most uncomfortable situation to be in, to sit there with your parents in the presence of your teacher. Embarrassed. As soon as I could, I'd run off and go and play with my uh, peers so that I didn't have to be with my parents. Maybe that's why it ministers to me, might not you. Okay, number uh, five ways to lose your child's heart. We want to quickly look at these. Don't want to spend too much time on them. But there are certain ways that we can lose our child's heart. And it's found in, in, our, in our Mennonite homes. It's found in our Christian homes. And we need to be cautious. We need to be aware. And we need to steer away from these things. Number one, we can lose our child's heart and turn them away very quickly by being disobedient parents by being disobedient fathers and mothers. Did you know that, parents? That if we're going to live in disobedience, and we're going to be disobedient mommies and daddies, it's going to cause confusion to our children. Because we're going to tell our children to do this and this and this, and we do otherwise. Parents who pr pretend to be Christians but are not. Parents who pretend to be Christians but do not obey the laws of the land. Parents who pretend to be Christians but do not respect and find themselves under the authority of the church. You don't even have to teach your children to see that. They're going to observe that. This creates confusion and frustration in children and in youth when parents tell them to listen here. That's what I told you to do. That's not what I told you to do. But they're not being obedient to the, their authority. So now we have confusion. Dad wants me to do this, but he sure wouldn't. All right, so that's one way that we lose the hearts of our children. Let's be aware of that, disobedient fathers or mothers. 
Not restraining your child. Number two, not restraining your child is actually going to make them lose, you're going to lose the heart of your child. Children want to be disciplined. They might not say that, but a child left to themselves displays an Absalom when they're left to themselves. So not restraining our child is not benefiting them. The idea that we don't want to hurt them. Spoiled children, listen, spoiled children have never built strong churches. Spoiled children have never contributed well to society. Spoiled children do not build good schools. So not restraining our child is a hindrance. I'm going to read a couple verses for that. Proverbs 23, that's back where we had started, but there's two verses there that I want to affirm and confirm that we must restrain our children. Eli the priest decided not to one day, and it didn't fare very well. So we have Proverbs 23, verse 13. Withhold not correction from the child, for if thou beatest him with the rod, he shall not die. Thou shalt beat him with the rod, and shalt deliver his soul from hell. That's harsh, that's King James. But what what it's saying is that God has actually designed a method for child training. And there's alternative methods being offered today. There's different alternative methods being... um, practiced. But I'll just throw this out. It's time to close. Just, I'll just throw this out. That the spanking discipline, there's no substitute for the spanking discipline in child training. There comes a time when spanking discipline is no longer uh, appropriate, but we must start when we're young. Now, there are other methods to discipline, but never to take away and substitute and cancel out spanking discipline. Forget what I was going to say about that. But the spanking discipline, oh, I got it. The offense, the offense must meet, must be balanced out with the punishment. It must be equal, all right? That's why I said there's some alternatives to discipline, but we don't substitute and cancel the spanking discipline. It must be practiced. It must be applied, I should say. I think that's better. All right, let's move on. So much for that. Let's be aware of that. Children want to be disciplined and need to be restrained. Number three, another way to lose the heart of our child is to raise our voice in anger. And that's what I mean is to raise our voice in anger breaks trust. And so they begin to fear their parents. But I find it so difficult to practice. I know this, but I find it so difficult to practice on not raising my voice. I'm raising it right now. Not raising my voice because to me, raising my voice multiplies my authority. Raising my voice means that I mean business. And it shatters the trust in the child. They're afraid of their parents. They're afraid of the reaction. They're afraid of the response. That's why we lose the hearts of our children when we raise our voice in anger. 
makes angry children. That's what it will do. Okay, number four, another way to lose the heart of our child is when we don't have time for our child. And there could be a whole sermon in this. When we don't have time for our child, look at David. When we don't have time for our children, we're telling them that, that they're not important. Children desire our time far above all the money you could accumulate. And I found it interesting that Josh said something the other night about what we would, what we would do to just have another $10,000 if we knew that we could get it fairly honestly here. You know what? That little child on your lap could care less if you had another $10,000. All they want is for you to have their attention and to give them the attention they need to have a relationship with them. Forget about the money. They, they just don't care about the money. When we don't have time for our children, when we're too busy doing good, preachers, when we're too busy doing good, and it pushes our children away. Maybe there's mothers. I don't know. I didn't think about that. Maybe there's mothers too busy doing good to have the hearts of their daughters. I don't know. Are you, too, are, you, are you too busy? How can we expect the children to give us their hearts when we don't have time for them? So I think David was that example in our scripture today. Last one. Lose the hearts of our children. And this should not be named amongst us here. This should not be a problem in our Christian homes. But wrong leadership in the home. Sorry but wrong leadership in the home will break our child's heart. It's going to cause confusion. It's called role reversal, where dad is mom and mom is dad, and dad's fine with mom being dad. That's role reversal, that's confusion, and it takes the hearts of, breaks the hearts of children. Now they don't know who's who in the home. That's not what God designed. And if there's role reversal here today, it needs to be repented of. And we wonder why rebels come out of Christian homes. Maybe it's mom that's in charge. Think about it. Maybe it's arguing parents. Arguing parents vying for position in the home. And it causes friction, causes tension, causes instability. There's no stability in a home where there's not a structure of leadership. And our children will go somewhere and seek peace. And maybe that's why, maybe that's why youth don't want to be at home. Maybe that's why the youth scamper away every evening and every evening and every evening. Dads, if you don't respect those who are in your authority, your children will lose their respect for your very own that's just how it works. So can we understand this morning why we have rebels coming out of Christian homes? And I'm going to close with this, this thought. The fact that our children are creatures of choice makes the responsibility even greater. Not an excuse, but it makes the responsibility even greater to realize that they are creatures of choice and one day they may reject us. But we don't cash in on that. We don't cash in on that. We need the hearts of them to control them and to guide them in the way.
But don't despair. Don't despair. This is something to work towards. This is something to pursue. This gives us something to think about. This gives us something to work towards. There's nothing greater in value than the hearts of our child. And parents, you've got to come down to their level. You've got to get down to their level, and they know that you understand them, and they feel loved and wanted. So, my son, give me thine heart, and let thine eyes observe my ways. I'm going to read a poem in closing, and then I'll have a prayer and turn the time back over to Brother David. Here's a poem, dads. Let, let, let's pay attention to this dad's greatest job. If you're concerned about your job, your, the greatest job, this is it. I may never be as clever as my neighbor down the street. I may never be as wealthy as some other men I meet. I may never have the glory that some other men have had, but I've got to be successful as a little fellow's dad. There are certain dreams I cherish that I'd like to see come true. There are things I would accomplish ere my working time is through, but the task my head is set on is to guide a little lad and to make myself successful as a little fellow's dad. It is that one dream I dreamed of. It's the task I think of most. If I'd fail that growing youngster, I'd have nothing else to boast. For the wealth and fame I'd gather, all my future would be sad. If I'd fail to be successful as the little fellow's dad. I may never get earth's glory. I may never gather gold. Men may count me as a failure when my business life is told. But if he who follows after is a Christian, I'll be glad for I'll know I've been successful as a little fella's dad. That's our job, dads, to be a little fella's dad. Shall we pray? Father in heaven, we come to you in the, this morning, this noon hour. We thank you for our families. We thank you for these children. We thank you for these youth here. Lord, empower us to have the hearts of our children, to guide them in the way, to live a life of an example. May we see the value of our children. We may see the value that you place on children. And that we would treasure that and we would shoulder that responsibility. Oh Lord, I just pray you would open up the doors in our homes to warmth and to relationships. And it would be a safe, it would be a secure place that we could raise our children. We just give these families to you. We commit them to you. And may you be honored and glorified by the families here. And by our lives, in Jesus' name I pray, amen.